Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Welcome to the Provoke Media podcast. I'm Arthi Shaw, executive editor for Provoke Media and your host for today's episode. So on today's episode, we're going to ask this question. When CCOs and CEOs clash, is leaving the only recourse? So to talk about this, I'm very excited to have Gabriel Stricker here. And Gabriel is so immersed in Silicon Valley companies and culture. Uh, His resume includes Google, Twitter, Niantic, Google again, Emerson Collective, and now he's at Color. And I'll actually uh, post a a link to the story that we did on on his joining Color um, in the show notes. And one thing that's always stood out to me in my conversations with Gabriel over the years is is Gabriel has such a point of view and a sense of purpose in all of the choices um, he makes professionally and all of the roles that he takes on. Um, So welcome, Gabriel. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. I didn't miss any any of the companies, did I? I think that's a that's a pretty good tour. Yes. So you know, we are living right in this moment where people keep saying that purpose matters. You know, people want to work for organizations whose values align with theirs. Um, and, and yes, you know, I think purpose is being used as sort of a north star in in the companies people want to work for. But I feel like that's just the starting point. I feel like we don't talk enough about sort of what happens when you take a job and realize that those values aren't lived in the way that you um, initially imagined or, or hoped. And, you know, considering that some of the fastest growing and most lucrative employers right now um, are in the news for things like whistleblowers showing how, you know, harmful their products are, um, billionaire founders shuttling off to space while not providing healthcare to employees, CEOs banning political conversations, you know, companies actively lobbying to reshape labor laws and the gig economy, you know, I mean, and and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So sort of with that backdrop, Gabriel, I'd love to sort of start this conversation about, you know, maybe letting our listeners know about your near miss um, at working at one of these companies that's in the news these days. Um, Tell us about how you almost worked at Theranos. (laughs) Yeah, I've not I've not actually talked about this publicly before, but it's true. Um, I um, in 2015, and I actually don't know exactly the timing of when the Ken Aletta New Yorker piece came out, but that was when Theranos first was on my radar. And I, like many others, and apparently including many investors, read that piece and was just captivated. I had been really fascinated with that space for a long time, um, and yeah, in, in 2015, in August, September, and October, had um, really advanced negotiations with Theranos and um, was offered a job from them, I think, shortly before the John Carew piece came out in the journal. Um, and then, obviously, after that, uh, decided that from what I had seen, it did not make sense to, to join that because I, like many others at that point, questioned how legitimate it was. But um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a cautionary tale for me. Um, uh, and, and I think just reinforced the importance of 
having a really clear understanding of the moral and ethical fiber of the people who you're going to work with and making sure that there's alignment there. So, okay, so let's let's tackle this from, from yeah. two sides. And, and one would be sort of this, this vetting that happens initially. And, and, you know, I mean, and it's worth noting with the Theranos example that, you know, while you turned that down, you know, there were, somebody else did take that role, right? And, yeah. and I'm sure there's probably comms professionals who looked at this as a meaty crisis challenge that they could kind of sink their teeth into. Um, I mean, do you think there are two different types of, like, do you think there's different types of comms folks? Like some, some people you would give them this crisis and they would say, oh yes, let's, let's, let's see what we can do with this. Maybe so, but you know, what, what you were saying at the top to me is, is uh, akin to, and I'm, I might butcher this, but you know, a, a friend and former colleague of mine, Alex McGilvery, who was the general counsel at Twitter, had said this point that if you are in a place where you're working, where you do not have clear moral and ethical alignment with the executives that you work with, if you get to a point of disagreement, the only recourse you'll have is to leave. And so his point was not like, not to say leave, his point was make sure you have that alignment in advance. Um, Maybe, I can't speak to what motivates other people, or maybe there were other people who looked at the journal piece or pieces and said, you know, no, 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 I really genuinely believe this. There are many people who um, um, had the experience of meeting with Elizabeth Holmes and said, you know, in spite of all this, I believe her. And I have to tell you, having met with her at the time many times, on some level, as peculiar as this sounds, I... I think she believed what she was telling me. So it's a very tricky thing. Um, I, I don't know what the circumstances were of the people who actually did go and say, I wanna do this, but maybe they were just so persuaded that, that this had to be true, that they did it. That's what I at least like to believe. I'd like to believe that that's what motivated them rather than, rather than them believing, oh, I don't believe in this, but I'm nevertheless going to be out there trying to to explain to people why it's good. So let's go back to to sure. vetting. Um, yeah, you know the executives so that there is ethical and moral alignment. Um, do you have any thoughts on how that can be done? Let, let me give you like a, an example, not on vetting the executives, but just from a, a hiring standpoint. I and I, I think um, she would not object to me naming her, but there was a, a woman who I hired or interviewed at Google whose name um, is now Gina Johnson. Her name was Gina Weekly at the time. And um, Google, I, as you, you might know, had really, I think, frankly, unreasonable hiring requirements um, that had a lot to do at the time with your academic performance, much more than your professional achievements. Um, and my recollection of it was that Gina had had, maybe it was like a B minus in some inconsequential class as an undergraduate in college. And this came up in her hiring process. And I had said to her, you know, there are lots of reasons why people don't have perfect grades from UC Berkeley. I think that that's where she went to school. And uh, so there's lots of reasons why. And I, and I said, I see that you were working your way through college because I could see in her professional experience that she was working somewhere in, or in Berkeley area at the time. And I said, you know, that's a perfectly good reason 
why, to explain why you might have imperfect grades. Caveat here, it's insane that we're having this conversation. It's insane that that was part of the hiring criteria, but be that as it may. And in that, in that conversation, Gina stopped me and said, I just wanna clarify, I did work during college, but I did not work my, I wouldn't feel comfortable with you characterizing it, that I worked my way through college. Those are two different things. And I worked because I wanted to have extra money, but it wasn't like I was in need of that in order to finance my education. That for me, there are very few times where someone can sort of prove their moral and ethical fiber to you through an interview. Yeah. At that point, I was going to throw my body on the tracks to ensure that she got hired because my point was, here we know this person's character. She has just revealed to us. She could have just as easily let that pass, but was like, no, 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 I'm a person of such integrity. It's critical to me that you know this. And if I'm going to be hired here, it's going to be in having like the, the right sort of uh, context or pretext. Right. And um, I think that there are either opportunities to take advantage of it when interviewing people to, to like tease, to seize on those moments where they have shown themselves to have high integrity and really, really value that sometimes above other qualities. And then I think that there are other opportunities to just ask people um, when, when, you're, when you are the, the candidate to try to suss that out. Now, for me personally, um, I, I have to say, like for all of the drama surrounding Twitter, I, I in my conversations with Dick Costello, who's the CEO and I was there, the, the main thing that I came away with with my discussions with him um, before I joined was his integrity. And people can debate all they want about strategy and whatnot, but that was that really was striking to me. And, um, and I think it, it's just incumbent upon us when we're joining places to try to get at that at people. It's, and I think sometimes we're really over-indexed on strategy and under-indexed on values. You know, there's this saying out here, right, that everyone is trying to strike it rich in tech so that they never have to work in tech again. Um, so, you know, if if that's what's guiding sort of the hot employment market right now, where people are looking, I mean, it's I, I, I've had it described to me by folks, you know, like folks in ad tech, for instance, is like, it's a gold rush, right? It's a gold rush. You're just trying to get as much gold into your cart as you can. And then hopefully you can do something good um, or better in the world once once you've kind of achieved some milestone. I mean, do you feel like that's a little bit of the the, the ethos out here, and that maybe integrity doesn't factor in as much as it we would like it to? I mean, there's this a sense of I'm just trying to find the next unicorn. I just you know what's what what kind of you know what what kind of payout could I potentially get? Um, that would make my life easier versus trying to work for companies that you and, and, and founders and executives that you believe in. We, we are about to have an, an interesting philosophical conversation. I, I hope that that's not the case um, because if you really draw that out to its logical conclusion, what people would be saying is, I, I want to go, I want to knowingly go into a situation where I'm somehow knowingly compromising my values so that I can financially enrich myself so that I can then unpause 
and start to live out my values. And that would be a real shame um, if that's what's going on for people because I, and, and let me just say, it has taken me some time personally to kind of evolve in my thinking on this because I will just acknowledge earlier in my career, I felt like I was evaluating a lot of my professional worth in terms of what I was doing and much less in terms of the person who I was able to be and the values I was able to hold as I was doing that work. Um, because I just think we spend so much of our time, certainly in this culture, dedicating ourselves to our professional pursuits that you, you ultimately, in my opinion, you just have to view your work as yet another sphere in which to attempt to exercise your humanity. Like if you, it's very easy to be humane if you're, or much easier to be humane if you are sitting by yourself on a meditation cushion in some dojo. But it's much harder to be humane if you're thrown into a professional environment with a bunch of people who you maybe don't know or didn't choose and don't have a lot of experience with. Right. And it's pressure filled and sometimes have conflict and whatnot. And whatnot, but can you be the like finest form, finest version of yourself in that context? That to me is the bigger test. Um, and so I would really hope that um, that that is more the lens that we can look at our professional pursuits through. Because in the end, like that, right? I would hope for most people that's going to be the thing that's going to be most gratifying. You know, so there's there's two things here that stand out. First is, you know, you think about like if Silicon Valley is what investment banking was, right, two decades ago, where, you know, you went to work every day and you knew that your job was essentially to screw people over. And that did eat away at people's souls, right? I mean, you, we, you know, you read all about the culture around, you know, banking. Um, you know, it, it, it was, it was really harmful for people, but they went in, they were making their money. And then, yeah, many of them went and opened up, you know, a tea shop in like, you know, in upstate New York or something to just kind of cleanse their souls. And so I wonder if there's some element of that happening in the tech sector right now. And the second thing is, is yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's treating your, you know, your, your, your employees in, you know, your colleagues with, with humanity and integrity and respect. And I think that is happening at a lot of these tech companies even if the product that they're making is potentially quite harmful, right? It's almost two separate things, right? I mean, you you can you can come to work every day and and with integrity and and treat people in a humane way, you know, even if your product is is causing harm, um, you know. And a lot of people come to Silicon Valley not necessarily for the gold rush. They come because they like solving problems and they like the puzzles and you know and they yes. and they're really you know and that and and they almost are able to separate the, what the end product is from the um, process, which is what they enjoy so much. You're right. And, and look, there has to be alignment there you, you, because um, it, it doesn't quote unquote work. If I say to you, Arthi, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is the perfect professional pursuit for me. I'm able to go to work and live out my values and be caring and compassionate and intellectually curious and be the person I wanna be. And you say, oh, that's really great. What what is your place of employment? And I say, oh, well, I'm designing and assembling nuclear bombs. Like <laughs> that, 
clearly there has to be some alignment there. Um, and you're right. I have a, I do think there are examples of where the, the professional environments may be becoming more and more humane just as the products or services become less so. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, we, we can, it's, it is very interesting to have that conversation in the face of this most recent whistleblower mm-hmm. example, but I, yeah, this is where you're right. Like there has to be a third layer where there is moral and ethical alignment with the people who you're working for and with, and that the mission of the company itself right. is, is just somehow objectively doing good. I would just say one thing briefly on this point is I think that there was a time when a lot of companies and even founders of companies had a similar mindset that you were describing earlier, which is I'm going to launch this company, have it make a lot of money and finance my other sort of social good pursuits. And to me, Larry Page was the first person who I saw who said, no, 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 I'm actually going to change the company to so that it can pursue the pursuits that I'm interested in. And, and so it was born that this search engine was now innovating self-driving cars uh, and so on. Like that, that um, really was born out of, I think, a, a at the time was just a very different way of thinking about businesses and what businesses were for. And, and I really, um, I respect I respect Larry's perspective on that. It was very eye-opening for me at the time. It, and it was, it was, it, it, I think that's why it, it, people noticed it, right? And it got so much attention because it, we hadn't heard a company talk about themselves and their own mission in that way, right? Um, you know, whether that's still the case at that company is, right? I mean, that's not necessarily, I mean, that's obviously um, up for debate. Yes. So, so, so what if you are an executive, you're, you're a CCO, you're at a company, at some point you did believe in, in the, the vision and, and the mission. Now you're, you're in a board meeting and there is clearly, you know, there's clearly tension and conflict um, around, around a direction that the company should go in. You know, I've heard the CCO referred to as a chief conscience officer and that it's their job to, to kind of steer that that the, the moral ship, but I it just doesn't seem possible unless the other executives are on board. So I want to get your take on this idea that the CCO should be the chief conscience officer and and should sort of be the moral compass of the company because I, I don't know that that actually works unless you have exec, other executives buy in. And well, let's start there. Like, do, do yeah. you think that that's let, let me let me I, here's here's kind of the the way that I view that and the cornerstone of it actually is journalists and journalism, because part of the role of people in communications is to engage with journalists who, whose job it is, is to, as many of whom's job it is to, is to objectively as possible report to their readers on what's happening in that case inside that company. And that's a gift if you think about it, that that dynamic to be able to engage on a regular basis mm-hmm. with a person whose job it is, is to bear witness to what's going on um, and is being thoughtful about articulating that in words or in video or what have you. That's a huge gift. 
And that just so happens that the people who are doing media relations have, uh, I think, a disproportionately inside look at what's going on with those journalists because they're asking these, just the questions that they're asking can be profound. Um, and so I think what ends up happening is, is that the communications, a lot of the communications professional end up being this bridge, not just to the outside world, but to a very, very critical um, function of the outside world in, in journalists and journalism. And, and so sometimes what I think that that conscience, uh, with the way that, that that conscience can be expressed isn't necessarily in, in somehow getting on a high, a high horse and saying like, I am a person of unimpeachable conscience and therefore I am telling you this is the right or wrong thing to do. But it comes out more of saying, look, for what it's worth, um, I've spoken with these five journalists this week and their assessment of what we're doing is this. And that's a pretty profound mirror to hold up. Certainly sometimes there are gonna be people or outlets with an agenda and you take that mirror with some grain of salt. But in my opinion, when you have journalists and, and outlets that are trying to do responsible journalism, then that bridge to that, to that kind of, that entire sphere is profoundly valuable. And the ability to bring that back to an executive team and say, hey, let me just tell you, here's what you're saying or here's what we're doing mm -hmm. and here's how it's being received. Um, that to me is where that, that kind of conscience, if you can call it that, comes in. And so in some ways, what I'm saying is you're, you're like channeling the, the conscience or judgment of, of journalists and journalism, which is why, A, we need great journalists and great journalism, and B, we need to have communications professionals who are engaging with journalists in, in really, really good faith with integrity. So, so now, now you're, you're in the room and, and, and a decision is being made that don't align with your values, your, you know, the, your, the ethics of, of the company are suddenly starting not to feel so good. Before, before leaving, like, was there anything that, that you think can be done at that point? I mean, probably what you just described, right, is just really laying it out there and saying, this is, this is how what you're doing is going to be received. Um, but I don't know how powerful that can be in an era where, I mean, who everybody was, after all of the damning things that came out this week, for instance, just to use Facebook as an example, you know, AOC posted a video on Instagram about how monopolistic Facebook is, right? But she, I mean, there was, they own, they own internet communications, where else was she going to do it? So, um, you know, I, I mean, we're so, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if executives, if you can build, you know, if people are building companies now where they're like, you know, yes, we may make people mad, but guess what? They don't have another option. Um, I've talked to so many people that are trying to wean themselves off of, for instance, Amazon because of business practices. They just can't bring themselves to make that final, they can't cut that final cord because they rely too heavily. Um, you know, what you think about Prop 22 and the gig economy, right? 
people rely on that for, so, I mean, we're sort of in this world now where it's going to be hard. I wonder if it's going to be harder for comms folks to say, Hey, look, you're making people mad um, about this. And this is how this is being received. And if the answer might increasingly be, well, yeah, but they're going to still use our services. So it's fine. You know, um, let, let me just, I, I want to try to paint a, a slightly different picture for you of this, because I think it may be true that there are instances where something really, really monumental comes to a head, and then you have some really deep, deeply insurmountable difference of, of opinion or perspective or whatever that is. But actually in practice, what happens is, in my experience, is like in many other places in life or work, is you have a series of incrementally compounding small decisions, small mistakes that lead to that huge divide. And so what inevitably happens is, is you have people who um, don't speak up, turn the other way on the sort of preceding smaller mistakes or small, smaller trespasses um, and they all add up to something that's greater. And so in the end, what it's about is putting your foot down on what seem like the smaller things at the time. Um, this isn't exactly a perfect example of, of difference, a uh, difference of, of opinion in terms of like a moral and ethical standpoint, but you know, um, when at Twitter, the decision was made to go public. Ali Raghani at the time was, I think, a singular voice in, say, in, in saying, I have these concerns about our ability to grow this platform in a way that's going to be sustainable over time. And he was the mind, he, he may have been not only the minority, but the only voice in the room to say that. Now, I at the time heard him and had, I think in hindsight, some sort of blind faith in the way in which technologists can sort of solve their way out of, out of deficiencies. Um, but he was 100% right about it. And that was, that was a, that, that was a, in hindsight, a fairly brave thing to have said in that room because he was alone in saying it. And, and it was call, just like calling into question, I think basic assumptions that a lot of us had about the, the, the business and the technology. And that's more of what I'm describing is the courage to stand up in those moments and say, actually, y'all, I, I don't agree. Um, and this is why, and again, I don't know that that was necessarily a moral or ethical stand that he was taking, um, but I, I do think it's an example of how those incrementally compounding smaller mistakes add up um, in bigger ways. And people do do this. Um, and I think that, that um, as far as kind of being the conscience of organizations, all of us I, you know, I guess, Arthur, the, the, the reason why I'm resisting this idea of being the sort of chief conscience officer is because it would be a really sad and unsustainable state if organizations said, you know what, we're all going to delegate the responsibility yep. to this person. Yep. Um, 
everyone shares that responsibility. And I think for the most part, in my experience, I think most people do act with integrity. Um, um, and, and sometimes folks just get painted into corners for, for other reasons. But yeah, I, I would hope that everyone is that, is that chief conscience officer. I, I think I 100% I, I agree with you. I think this idea that one voice at the company should bear this responsibility of sort of, you know, carrying out the moral and whatever the, 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 the ethical duties and responsibilities is not sustainable. And that, and it's going to wear somebody down, honestly, like that's, that's a lot, uh, that's a big burden for somebody to, for one person to carry or even just one department to carry. Right. Um, it has to be infused, I would think within the organization to your point. I mean, I think see, but you know, comms has a unique vantage that they can really help move that, you know, the, the, the moral and ethical conversations forward. Um, via the, you know, their relationship with the media. But yeah, I mean, I think this, it's just completely unsustainable. Yeah. So, you know, when I, whenever I talk to you, I, I get excited about what our industry, you know, can do and the value it can provide um, businesses. Now we're in this moment where, again, this is unique to the agency side. Um, I don't think in-house is having as cute of a problem as, as agencies. Um, they, they, folks can't hire. And I, I suspect there's multiple things happening here. Um, folks are leaving the industry, they're leaving agencies, and they don't ever want to go back is what I'm hearing. And also folks that don't, that have, that maybe are in comms adjacent professions, won't even consider um, jobs at PR agencies. And I've been having conversations with leaders about what is the problem and and what can be done to solve this? And I would love to get your perspective on this. That's a tough one because the, the economics of the agency world are, are really, really tricky. And I think um, it's really, really difficult for um, agencies, large or small, to be able to compete financially with yeah. these private companies. And so in some ways, um, and keep in mind, it's been a long time since I have been in that agency world myself back in the Weber Shandwick days many moons ago. But I, I think on some level, the agencies that are better positioned to thrive are the right now are the ones that simply embrace this reality and say, look, we're just going to end up being a farm system for these larger companies. Um, and it's almost like a McKinsey model at that point where the understanding is, is that you join the agency to do your tour of duty. Um, for me, let me just say, I think part of the amazing benefit of working with an agency is you get to work on a wide variety of projects and determine what it is that you don't want to do. You might not determine what you do want to do, but you right. really have a clear sense of like, gosh, I don't want to spend uh, the, the rest of my professional time working in financial services like that isn't for me or whatever that is. Right. right. Um, and so I do think that there are, are benefits, but I think um, the agencies that are trying to position themselves as these forever, forever destination for, for their employees are just not being honest with themselves. And I think if they just embrace the fact that it was going it is, it is going to be meaningful short to medium term work for people that I think would be better for the agencies and the employees that, that people are leaving the profession altogether. My, I'll tell you, Arthur, what my fear about that is, is that 
people are looking at communications and really what they're saying to themselves is, is why in the world am I going to do media relations in a world where right. media itself is contracting? Right. And that would be really sad. That to me, yeah. um, e- even, even if it is the case that, that um, more and more focus is being placed on companies owned and operated channels, um, my hope is that people... And, and there are plenty of companies where own and operated channels are overseen by communications. Right. But my hope is, is that people will continue to, to have interest in this work precisely because of the role of journalists in journalism. And, and I'll just say, against that backdrop, journalists are having to do more and more work with less and less time. Right. And it creates greater and greater importance for them to have people who they can go to in communications who can just help them do their reporting. That's a very precarious state because it puts back to just this point about values. It puts a huge, huge burden on the people in communications to be honest brokers with those reporters to help them do their work. Um, And uh, but, you know, that is a reality for, for many journalists right now and, and where I think having a function in which you have media relations professionals who are operating with integrity, who are genuinely being helpful resources for journalists, um, I, I think is, is just like critically important. And I would hope that that, that, that function continues on. You know, it's, it, you've always been such an advocate for that, that this part of the job, right? The media relations piece. And it's it's interesting because to your point, we're at this moment where people are trying to sort of pull away from that and not have our profession defined by media relations. And that's, you know, I've seen this as part of this movement away from calling us public relations to calling us comms, right? Because comms yeah. is like all of those owned channels. And, you know, there's many more platforms, right? The outside of media. I, I know at Provoke, we've always, pushed back against that. We, I, we've always liked the term public relations because it actually does public, if you take that mm-hmm. literally right, that's yeah. every single stakeholder, um, media being one of them. And and yeah, I mean, we are moving into the world where is that New York Times article going to have the same impact um, or is it really going to be actions? Like, I, you know, and what is the role of communications and or public relations in terms of influencing actions within an organization? I, I know that as one example, like Karen Khan at HP, I mean, she now has oversight. I think she's cor- I think, uh, corporate affairs, I want to say is her title. And um, she has oversight um, of the company's ESG sustainability policy, in part because this recognition that it's not just what where a company says what, right? It's actually what those actions are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder if there is this moment where we don't have a, a, a a unified definition on what the purpose of our, of this profession is. Yeah. I mean, and keep in mind, like, we're not even talking about internal communications, yeah, so oh, yeah, like that, yeah, that yeah. whole realm too. And an interesting recent example, um, until, until he left square, Aaron Zamos also oversaw yep. the HR function, mm-hmm. um, which of course has all these synergies of how to do internal communications. Um, and speaking to a company's culture and culture building. So I think that, that, that those overlaps are numerous, mm-hmm. um, but it, however, 
however you choose to slice it or assign responsibilities, what you're dealing with is the expression to, to an audience of, of the company, its purpose, its values, its character. Um, and that can go in a variety of ways. And, and um, I think that that's important work. I think that there are very, very few organizations where that somehow just speaks for itself. I think it requires like a really deliberate focus and a thesis. And frankly, if you don't have that thesis and you're not deliberate about it and you let it define itself, then you have any number of audiences, the outside world, your user base define it for you and it can take it in directions um, that, that you're not comfortable with. So I think it's important to, to kind of provide that North Star because on some level, what you're doing is you're, you're modeling the behavior and the direction that you want others to follow. Um, and that's, that, that's, that's necessary. Yeah. So uh, I'll close on this last question. And that's, um, sure. you know, after you, well, kind of going full circle, you know, given your Theranos experience, I'm surprised that you were comfortable going to a company like Color, which, you know, is in, in, in sort of the same space. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of what drew you to Color? Interestingly, at that very same time of Theranos, where I was in the midst of negotiations with them in 2015, um, Elad and Achman, who I had known for some time, I mean, talk about integrity. Like I had already had all of this incredible experience with them um, there were several other people who were at color at that time um, who I really just thought the world of. I mean, and this is just like note to self, do not behave in this way again. But at the time, they said, you know, this is we're building something amazing, which they were. They they said, we want you to join. And I said, you know, it's I think it's too early for me, which I think it was. Um, that was right. But I said, I, I am incredibly interested in this in this health space, there is some amazing change afoot, but I'm gonna take this job at Theranos. And, and uh, the lesson that I took from it was, you know, having kind of come to the precipice of that abyss and not fallen in, um, the, the lesson that I just personally took from it was, I, I was okay going into a, a really nascent space um, that very few people had any understanding of, um, which is frankly, I think, part of the reason why the, it was hard to hold, in that case, Theranos accountable. But I was okay going into a nascent space. But the other part of the Theranos experience was I did not know anyone there. Hmm. I didn't know, I interviewed with people there that, like, it wasn't even like some degrees of separation. Oh, I used to work with this person. I'm not the most networked person you'll find in this industry, but still like just the laws of geometry and time and, and uh, degrees of separation, I would think that I would have at least known one person who worked there. I didn't know anyone. And so my conclusion from that was, I'm okay going into a nascent field. I'm okay going to work somewhere where I don't know anyone, but I'm not okay if both of those things are true. And so, um, what to me is so unique about, about color is that, A, I know a lot of the people there um, and I have seen their integrity and forget about integrity, just vision and um, dedication 
Um, I, I am certainly more familiar with the space over time, but, and, and you know, in the case of color, uh, it's also been borne out in these years and the whatever, more than half decade since then, like they have actually proven that they're building and shipping software services and logistics and partnering with other legitimate companies like Thermo Fisher, you know, these like Fortune 100 companies and helping them um, deliver health for healthcare for, you know, individuals, but it's, you know, built for populations. And it, they, they, it's been stress tested. That's all actually, there is actual amazing life improving, life saving care happening at scale. Um, and so like, I, I would just say like my, that is a, a much easier decision for me because I have the benefit of seeing all of this incredible work that they've done. It's just like, oh, if you live here in the Bay Area, you likely got a color test or have had um, a COVID vaccine. Um, uh, uh, if you were in Massachusetts, you help, they helped um, deploy vaccination that way. So there's like real tangible um, work that you can point to that makes it much, much easier. But you're asking like, for me, that was the main lesson. Mm -hmm. It was so much of this is about having the confidence in the people in some way. And I should just give you the caveat, sorry, Arthi, that, that if I didn't know the people, but people who I knew right. said that, trust me, I've worked with these people. I know them inside and out. That would be a sufficient proxy but in the case of Theranos, it was neither. And um, and that was, yeah, a, a near miss in my professional yeah. experience. Yes, yes. I mean, I think, you know, that that's good guidance, especially in, in tech, right? Um, because there are so many emerging sectors, or, you know, elements and companies and, and technologies. You know, is it, you know, is it, if it's a totally nascent sector, like, do you know the people there? Because, yeah, that's a big risk, not having... A, either of those things, right? Totally new sector. You don't really know the folks that are that are involved. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's a risk that I'm sure there are folks that have that appetite to, to take. Um, but, but I think that that's, that's really great guidance. So Gabriel, you know, I know, yeah, I always, whenever you and I talk, I always, the time just goes very quickly um, because I, I really love having these conversations with you. I think you're, um, you know, I think you're one of the thinkers in our, in our industry that, that can help help us move forward. Um, and we should maybe have these conversations even more frequently um, than, 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 we, than we do already. Um, but thank you again for taking the time to, to come on and talk a little bit about, you know, just from a meta perspective, like what's happening, you know, and, and in Silicon Valley, but I think the, the lessons are, are applicable um, well beyond um, this, this sector. Um, thank you again. And um, thanks to our listeners. And we'll be back again with another episode soon. Thank you. You have been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.